Well, I do invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians 4, page 978 in your pew Bibles. I mean, in your, yeah, in your pew Bibles as I pick up the hymnal. It's good to be back with you. Uh, thank you for allowing Sarah and I to go on vacation and uh, had a couple of Sundays off. So I'm going to jump back into just this particular passage on Ephesians. When I left, we were studying 1 Timothy, and we'll, Lord willing, jump back into that uh, next Sunday. But today, I had on my heart uh, something that's been floating around in my brain uh, about forgive, forgiving others and enjoying the forgiveness that we have in Christ. And since we are participating in the Lord's Supper today, I thought it would be particularly uh, appropriate for us to meditate upon this topic. I had a seminary professor who taught us preaching. Uh, he tried to, at least. I don't, I don't know if he was successful or not. You, you're the judge of that. But uh, he said, you can preach a topical sermon once a year, but be sure and ask for forgiveness r- immediately after. So as the practice here, we usually preach through books of the Bible. Uh, but today we're going to do a little topical service, a sermon on forgiveness. So Ephesians 4... 32 through 5-2. I'm going to read a couple of other passages as well, but we'll start here. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word, if you're able. The Apostle Paul, uh, writing to the Ephesian church, says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Uh, I'm going to ask you to flip over a couple of pages to Colossians 3, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, page 984, verses 12 and 13. This is really a parallel passage to the Ephesians passage. He says a lot of the same things in it. Verse 12 of chapter 3 of Colossians, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Please be seated. Well, these passages that I just read from the Apostle Paul uh, about forgiving others as Christ forgave you are merely echoing uh, the teaching of Jesus, right? I mean, we just read the larger catechism on the Lord's Prayer and uh, where Jesus says, Matthew 6, 12 through 15, forgive us, we're to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors And then he explains in verse 14 of Matthew 6, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And then again in Mark 11, 25, Jesus is teaching on prayer. And he says, Whenever you stand praying, Forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. 
Now, there's two words for forgiveness that are commonly used in the Scriptures, in the New Testament. Uh, the first, and this is the one that Jesus uses uh, in his uh, words here that we just read, it means to let go or to set free, to free someone from a debt, right? He's just prayed, uh, taught us to pray, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive, forgiveness means uh, someone owes you something. Uh, they have sinned against you, so there's this debt. They have uh, incurred a debt to you. And forgiveness means you've canceled that debt. Think of it in terms of money. It's like someone who owes you money, uh, but you say, I'm going to forgive the debt. You no longer owe me that debt. There's no payback. That's another way of putting it. You're not going to get any payback for being sinned against. And that means to forgive others is going to cost you something. So if you forgive a debt that someone owes you monetarily, uh, you're losing money if you forgive that debt. It's owed to you. But you're saying, I don't want it. I'm going to let it go. And so it costs you something. And forgiveness costs something to you personally when someone has sinned against you. And that's why it is sometimes very difficult to forgive others who have sinned against you. And Jesus is telling us that we must forgive. We must forgive. We cannot harbor resentment or bitterness because when we do so, we're hanging on to that debt. We're holding the debt that the person owes and holding it over them. That's the first word, to set free or to let go of, uh, of a debt. The other word is, uh, and I'll say it in the Greek, charizomize. It's a form of the word charis, which means grace. Um, grace. To forgive is what, is, is what the word that Paul uses in Ephesians and Colossians, charizomai. Uh, it is to extend grace or favor to someone who doesn't deserve it. To someone who deserves the opposite of grace or favor. Uh, maybe they deserve uh, some payback. They deserve to be uh, uh, the object of revenge. But Paul is calling us to show grace instead, to forgive with a gracious attitude, to show unmerited favor to someone who doesn't deserve our favor and our grace and our benevolence. So that's, the, that's what forgiveness is. That's what we're called to do. Now, the reason this is on my mind uh, is, is I've, over the past several years, been thinking about different people that I know and uh, situations they're in, uh, these are all people who are not here today, uh, and for, the lack of forgiveness that they have towards other people has ruined relationships. It's happened in marriages that I've, that I've uh, seen, where one spouse just refuses to forgive someone, to forgive his wife. A husband for, for, uh, refuses to forgive his wife. And the relationship cannot move forward because he won't let it go. Uh, a son who uh, 
who married someone uh, his parents did not approve of. And uh, they let it be known to him, and he let it be known to his wife. And then there was all this resentment and uh, ugliness that ensued. So much so that the relationship between son and, and parents disintegrated. The parents eventually died. The son did not even attend the funerals. Unforgiveness. An unwillingness to say, I forgive you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And the relationship could not go forward. Scotty Smith's pastor, a retired pastor, uh, last stop was in Nashville, but he says, some of us have fertilized roots of bitterness in our hearts with miracle grow, poisoning our joy with resentment, anger, and unforgiveness. Now, last summer, my daughter brought me a tomato plant uh, at her university, there was Earth Day. They gave away free tomato plants. And so I got this tomato plant, and I put some miracle Grow on that boy. And, man, it, it made 13 tomatoes. And I've never grown tomatoes in my life. Uh, this year, I got another plant. And actually, Markhorn gave me uh, three other uh, tomato plants. And so I was ready for the crop. And this year, I did not put miracle Grow on said tomato plants, and, and I've got, I had, had one tomato, I hope somebody ate it, because it was about ripe the time I was going on vacation. Uh, so, uh, miracle grow, you know, it causes things to explode in growth. Um, but some of us, as Pastor Smith says, have fertilized the roots of bitterness in our hearts with miracle grow, poisoning our joy with resentment, anger, and forgiveness. But the passages before us today tell us that forgiveness is always required of the Christian. Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do we realize what we're saying when we say that? Forgive me for my sins, Lord, as I forgive those who have sinned against me. And this implies that if we do not forgive those who have sinned against us, then we can have no expect, expectation that the Lord will forgive us for our sins. And in fact, when we pray that, if we're not forgiving others in our hearts, we're in essence asking Him not to forgive us for our sins. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's my request to you, God. And if we are refusing to forgive others, then we're actually praying for the Lord not to forgive us, in essence. So the Lord is teaching us to keep short accounts. In fact, no accounts, no record of wrongs to be held over other people. You remember in Matthew 18, Peter asked Jesus this difficult question. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Now, Peter thought he was being very spiritual when he asked that question because the rabbis of the day said, you, you should forgive someone three times. That was the teaching. Three times and, and then you're off the hook. You, you can, you can uh, be uh, hard-hearted after that. And Peter is being very spiritual here. Uh, Lord, uh, how about seven times? That's pretty good, right? Well, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. In some translations, as some of you may know, 
Some of them say 70 times 7. 77 or 490. Uh, maybe you should just uh, not encounter that person anymore if you have to forgive them that many times for doing the same thing. I don't know. But Jesus is making the point that we are always to be forgiving. It doesn't, we're not counting to 78 and going, okay, you're, you're, I'm writing you off now, or whatever the number might be. No, we are to be forgiving. And he tells this story. Uh, he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, uh, 10,000 talents is, is more than you could ever pay back in a lifetime. It's an enormous sum. Um, a silver talent was worth approximately 6,000 denarii. Uh, and gold talents were worth at least 30 times that much. A denarii was the, the wage for a day. So think about your paycheck for a month would be 30 denarii. This was 10,000 talents, uh, and one of those talents was worth 6,000 denarii. So it's an insurmountable sum he's talking about here. And it says there, since he could not repay... His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. <clears throat> so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. <laughs> right. <laughs> no no uh, prayer of ever paying that debt off. But out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. This incredible amount of money. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. A hundred denarii. That's, a, you know, about a month's paycheck, something like that, a small sum. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you the same thing that he said to the king. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Can you imagine watching this guy? They all knew he had been forgiven this incredible amount of money and then to see how he behaves over someone who owes him a small, easily, uh, easily payable sum and throws him in prison. Well, they let the master know and then the master summons him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now, here's the kicker. Jesus says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Those are strong words from Jesus. How do we forgive others? Now, that's the question I want to address real quickly here. How do we forgive others? And this takes us back to the passage that we're looking at here in Ephesians 4. Uh, first of all, A, uh, number one, remember how God in Christ forgave you. And that's the point of the, 
of the parable that we just read, God has forgiven us an incredible sum. We sin against him in thought, word, and deed. We owe debts we don't even know we owe to the Lord. We sin every day without knowing it, without even uh, understanding that we are sinning. God is a holy God, and we are sinful people. Verse 32 of Ephesians 4, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. God is kind and tenderhearted towards you. Kind means benevolent or, or gracious, uh, generous, and tenderhearted. That's another word for being compassionate. God is compassionate. Christ was compassionate. Jesus was kind, tenderhearted, and compassionate when he bore your sins on the cross, every one of them. He paid the penalty for them. He suffered for your sins. And he didn't just forgive the debt. He paid off your debt so that you could be truly forgiven. Remember that, first of all. That's the first step. Now, some of you have been sinned against in such uh, terrible ways that you don't know how you could ever forgive that person. Perhaps... You, are, you have been the victim of a violent crime. Um, how do you forgive? We'll talk more about that in a moment. But the first step, the first step, and even, even getting your head around, how do I forgive someone who has done something like this? Uh, all the way up to just the person that irks you. You know, everybody, uh, everything in between, all of these sins... The first step in really forgiving someone is to remember how God in Christ forgave you. We've been forgiven a great deal. We just sang it uh, in, ver in the third stanza of His mercy is more. What riches of kindness He lavished on us. His blood was the payment. His life was the cost. We stood neath a debt we could never afford our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Isn't that wonderful? God has forgiven us. Paul goes on in verse 1 to, to tell us, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And that's the second thing, to be, to be an imitator of God. What is God like? Now my daughter Virginia is a camp counselor uh, this summer at a girls' camp uh, up in North Carolina. And in her cabin are 15-year-olds this year. And she's really enjoying uh, this older group. And so she's doing a lot of counseling and uh, having to answer a lot of questions. And she was telling me the other day uh, that, that uh, one of her campers was under the impression that when, when someone is mean to you, that that's God telling you that you've done something wrong or that, you, that, uh, that God's getting back at you for something that you've done when another person is mean to you. It's a messenger of God in some way. Well, Virginia, uh, thankfully, was able to explain to her that God's not that kind of an ogre. Uh, he's not uh, the cosmic police uh, waiting to arrest you for everything that you've done or to punish you. He's forgiving. 
He's represented to us in Scripture as uh, a loving, heavenly Father. God is love. Uh, And we forget that, and we, we find it hard to believe, frankly. I think because we know how far far we fall short of his standard of holiness and we know we don't deserve it but God is love he's he's what we read in Psalm 103 bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits he forgives all your iniquity he heals all your diseases he redeems your life from the pit He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. And He satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like eagles. We sang it again, and and His mercy is more. Second stanza, what patience would wait as we constantly roam? What Father so tender is calling us home? He welcomes the weakest, the, the vilest, the poor, our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. And what Paul is calling us to do here in verse 1 is to be like God. To be like God. To bear the family resemblance. If we're children of God, we're to bear the family resemblance of being a kind, benevolent, loving, forgiving person. God's not an ogre. He's a loving, heavenly Father. And then thirdly, and finally, walk in the sacrifice of love and forgiveness. Verse 2 of Ephesians 5, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Jesus walked in love. Everything he did was love. Love for his Father, love for others. He did it perfectly. And he loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And Paul says we are to walk in that same kind of love. To forgive, one has to sacrifice. It doesn't come freely. If someone has angered you or really wronged you, to move past it, you're not going to get satisfaction. If, If someone gives satisfaction, then they're paying for their sins. You're not forgiving the debt. They're paying the debt. Christians are called to forgive debts and not expect people to pay their spiritual debts. Like Jesus, he gave up his rights. Philippians 2. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus doesn't expect you to pay off your debts. He paid them for you. He died to forgive your debts. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Ephesians 1 tells us that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. We're called to do the same. Now, again, it doesn't mean that we haven't been hurt. And it doesn't mean that we don't have the right to be angry. In previous verses in Ephesians 4, he says, Be angry and sin not. So there is such a thing as righteous indignation when there's injustice involved. 
And some of you, as I mentioned before, have been abused and sinned against in unimaginable ways. And my counsel to you would be, if you're sitting there going, I don't know how I could ever forgive that person for what they did to me. Ask the Lord for help. Ask the Lord to help you. Um, He will equip you and give you strength to do what he asks you to do. And I know you may not be able to imagine it, but God's grace is great, and he will give you the grace to do that. He did the same for Corey Ten Boom. Some of you may be familiar with Corey Ten Boom. Um, she uh, is a Christian author, but she most famously was uh, in a concentration camp in Germany uh, Her sister, with her sister, and her sister uh, was killed there. And uh, she was a Christian, and, and she writes this after, this is after the war, uh, shortly after the war, and she was speaking in a church, and she says this, It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between, between his hands, People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, and silence collected their wraps, and silence left the room. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me. Ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him in the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had again and again had to be forgiven and could not forgive. 
Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had 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 a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives no matter what the physical scars, those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with a coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand at the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. May we also know the forgiveness that uh, God calls us to extend to others. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your commands to forgive. Lord, we know that if we harbor bitterness and anger and resentment, it just harms us. It's the poison Uh, that we want to give to others, poisons us. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us to forgive one another, forgive others who have sinned against us, even when it is incredibly difficult. We pray for your grace and your mercy. And as we come to the table, Lord, may we be reminded of the greatness of the forgiveness that we experience through your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.